We're learning about the Omer by the Altar We are in the middle of chapter two, and we finish on page 19. What page are we on? Um, 19. At the top. Yeah. Right? Okay, perfect. So everything we learned in chapter two until now was basically uh, an introduction to what we're, going to what we're going to speak about right now at the top of page 19. So in the first chapter, we discussed that the process of leaving Egypt was a process, a spiritual process that we have within our own lives and on a service of Hashem, which is called Ratzo, which is the idea of tapping into our godly soul's innate desire to be one with Hashem and wanting to leave behind all the boundaries and limitations of the physical world to be united with Hashem himself. And that was the process of leaving Egypt, that they ran out of Egypt, of the Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, of their limitations towards Hashem. And we go through that process again every single day during davening. We have the command to remember that we left Egypt every day, and specifically during the Shema, when we proclaim our love for Hashem, we are leaving behind all of the distractions and limitations of the physical world and reaching up toward Hashem. And so chapter one finished with the idea that if we contemplate on just how distant we are away from Hashem, it will we will um, create within us a burning desire and a yearning to be one with him, which is Ratzo, right? So it's the preparation for Shema is throughout the davening when we contemplate on Hashem's Malchus and on how Hashem creates the world through just a ray of himself. And so we said that that is process number one. Now, chapter two, we started to discuss the three elements that are found within um, davening, corresponding to the three avot, to the three forefathers who established the davening. Avram established Shacharit, Yaakov established Mincha, sorry, Yitzchak established Mincha, and Yaakov established Meirev. And each one of our avot, of the forefathers, represents a spiritual way, medium of connecting to Hashem. Avram through Chesed, kindness, Yitzchak through Gevura, through judgment, severity, and Yaakov through Tiferet, which means beauty, which represents a perfect blend and combination of the two, which we discussed on Thursday, which is the idea of Tiferet, of Rachamim, of having mercy, of actually stepping into the other person's shoes, or in the case of the spiritual service, stepping into our soul's shoes and experiencing life through its perspective, which will naturally arouse within us some mercy for the situation that our soul is in, um, in this physical world. So today we're going to be discussing Rachamim, and the significance of this is that when we focus on all of the quotes throughout the davening before Shema that speaks specifically about Rachamim and eliciting mercy on our soul is going to help us to be able to experience this Ratzo if these contemplations about just how far away we are from Hashem are not working, which in many cases, um, those of us included, obviously, um, who are very steeped in the physical world, it causes a little bit of a coarseness and it causes a lack of sensitivity to godliness and therefore if we're so immersed in the physical world, even those initial meditations that the Alter Rebbe described to us aren't usually going to be enough so that by the time we get to Shema, we actually experience love for Hashem. So here, the Alter Rebbe is going to say, if you're in that cave, if you're in that situation, fall into that category, then contemplating, putting yourself in your soul's shoes before davening will make you feel very sorry for your soul and will allow you to actually tap into its own experience. And when you do that, you can tap into the experience of the soul, which is in a constant state of Ratzel. And you'll be able to feel a love for Hashem during Shema. So we'll see that idea inside uh, today and we'll see how there are different quotes throughout the davening 
um, specifically speaking about rachamim arousing mercy and what that significance is. Okay, so we, we spoke about the fact that the chesed is experienced in via hafta, right? The chesed of Avram we see very much during the Shema because chesed kindness gives birth to love. And the gavura, or the gavura aspect of Yitzchak, the severity, are all of the chapters and paragraphs during the prayers that where we discuss how Hashem punishes our enemies. For example, in Az Yashir, where we discuss how the Egyptians drown in the sea, and there are many places also in the Halalukas, etc., where we just where Hashem's might, we, we proclaim Hashem's might over the nations, and that's represented by Yitzchak Kavura. Now we're going to be speaking about Yaakov. So actually, bottom, bottom of page 18, the last line, okay? Um, we're good so far. This was basically a recap of what we of what we did until now. Okay, so Obchinat Yaakov Obchinat Rachmanot. So Yaakov represents mercy spiritually. Dahainu. So this is relevant because Misheliboy Kleva Evan, somebody whose heart is like stone, which doesn't mean that he's a mean person, but it means that he has been desensitized to spirituality because he's been so engulfed and consumed in the physical world and in the distractions that they give. Sheav Shemit Bonen. Even if he contemplates on all of the things above, on the aspect of Avraham, on the love, on the Ratzo, right? On all of the contemplations of just how far away we are from Hashem. On the aspects of Yitzchak, how Hashem punishes the enemies and how Hashem stands up for the Jewish people. If somebody's heart is like stone, even if he contemplates on all these things that we mentioned, he will not be able to actually reach this level of loving Hashem that's described in Shema, where we love Hashem why is this? Michamat, this is due to the fact that this person is very, very attached to the vanities of the world. To the point that now he feels as a separate entity for himself. He feels separate and cut off from his source of life, from Hashem. And because of this, now his heart is like stone. So what does that mean? His heart is like stone. Nothing moves him. He's, it's very, very hard for him to experience real emotions towards Hashem because he feels separate from Hashem because he's so immersed in the world, which is screaming from every direction that there is no God or that we don't need God and that we exist independently from him. And so when we, when we are, have this heart of stone, even when we do start to think about the greatness of Hashem or how distant we are from Hashem or how Hashem punishes our enemies, etc., etc., that's not going to arouse true feelings in our heart. So what's the advice? So the advice for somebody who is in this situation is to awaken mercies on his soul. And this is the same advice that, that I mentioned before that the Alter Rebbe gives in Anil Dodi, mm-hmm. the Maimar of Anil Dodi. Somebody who can't feel, the best advice is to arouse mercy on his soul. There at the end of Anil Dodi, um, the Alter Rebbe says, what about if that doesn't work, right? Um, and, and the Rebbe's advice there is if Rachmanot even doesn't work, your, your heart is so, so impenetrable that even trying to put yourself in your soul's shoes and experience life from your soul's perspective for a moment, even if that doesn't work, then you can daven to Hashem and trust Hashem that he's, going to, um, that he's going to allow you to have these feelings towards Hashem if you work hard enough. So, as it is written in Yeshaya, Le'Yaakov asher pada et Avram. That Yaakov is the one who redeemed Avram. And on a spiritual meaning, that is, that Yaakov represents Rachmanot, Tiferet, and Avram represents love. And if you want to redeem the love that is trapped in your heart, that's not able to come forth, the way you do that is through Yaakov, is through Rachmanot. Is through literally standing from the perspective of your soul, right? We said chesed is 
giving based on how much feelings you have been elicited within you, how much love you feel for the person who's, who's in need, right? Gavura is giving based or not giving based on how much you think the person deserves. And Rachamim, Tiferet, is, is literally standing in that person's shoes, seeing the world from their perspective and then helping from that way. And so, so to, with the spiritual avoda, Rachamim is to redeem the love, to bring forth our love that's innate, that's hidden for Hashem through contemplating on the situation that our soul is in and seeing the world from our soul's perspective for a moment. And we do this, we contemplate on this process throughout prayer because there are verses that discuss Hashem's mercy specifically and the concept and idea of mercy all throughout the davening, as we see on top of page 20. For who, for example, that the king is exalted and with your great mercies you should have mercy on us. Avinu Rachamelenu. This is the this is um, what we say right, right, right before the Shema to really prepare us. Our Father, who is the Father of mercy, Rachamelenu, have mercy on us. and put in our hearts bina, understanding lahavin or lahaskil to understand. and we will not be embarrassed forever. Perish. So this, what does it mean that we say so that we should not be embarrassed forever. You guys are familiar with this um, part of davening? Right, right, right before Shema, the Ahavat Olam, or the Ahavar Rabbah, depending on what Nusach. Um, it's really discussing that we're begging Hashem to arouse mercy onto us. And then we say, why should you arouse mercy? So that we will not be embarrassed forever. So now the Alter Rebbe is going to ask, what does that mean? Why are we asking Hashem so that we shouldn't be embarrassed? Because it's written, because a man cannot see me and live. And this is in the context where Moshe turned to Hashem and he said, show me your face. And Hashem said, no, I'll only show you my back. You can only see the back of me because no man can see me and live. Mm. But the sages interpreted this verse. Our sages explained that a person while he's alive in this world cannot see God. But when a person dies and his soul goes up to heaven, then he can see God. Because when a person is alive, then the soul is enclosed and revealed within the body. And it gets covered over and concealed by the body. To the point that it causes this world to feel separate and independent um, and living on its own, separate from Hashem. So this causes actually a change in the perspective of the soul. We experience our soul, and we can experience our soul in a way that while at the same time experiencing that we feel separate from Hashem. So the soul's true essential connection to Hashem and ultimate knowledge that everything is Hashem gets covered over while it's in the physical body, as we know. But what happens when the soul leaves the body, when a person passes away? When the soul leaves the body, so then he recognizes the truth, that his essence and his source is all Hashem. 
And this is the idea of the, of the embarrassment, as we're going to see. That we shouldn't get to a stage where when we re are revealed the truth, we'll be embarrassed by how we lived our lives when the truth was concealed, as we'll see. What will the truth, what, will, what truth will be revealed? That Hashem was, is, and will always be without any change. That Hashem is actively here and revealed in this world, but we just weren't able to see Him. So the creation of the world made no change in Hashem at all. And that's the truth. And that truth, the soul understands when it's not constrained by the body. Before the world was created, he was the only existence. And so too now he's only the existence and he's on, the only existence that ever will be. Otherwise, there would be a change in Hashem's oneness, oneness, God forbid, by the creation of the world. So the fact that there's no change in his oneness through the creation of the world is because it's not separate from him at all. And, sin, and since it has no independent existence whatsoever, even now Hashem is still the only true existence. But because the soul is concealed and limited by the body in this world, it actually experiences itself to be somewhat independent. The truth is that nothing can cover over Hashem, nothing can conceal Hashem. And this is a completely false premise. What it seems to be, that the world exists on its own. I think that the translation it's completely false advertising. The world is lying to us by making itself look as though it's separate from Hashem. Since we see this lie all day, every day, we buy into it. Our soul, to some extent, as it reveals itself through the body, buys into it. And this is what the embarrassment that we're asking Hashem to, to have mercy on us to prevent this embarrassment. What's the embarrassment? That our soul then goes up and sees the truth. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I lived my life this way down here. The truth was as real down here, but my body and the physical world covered it over and I lived in a way that's completely, completely against what's real. And so that's the embarrassment we're begging Hashem to spare us from, the embarrassment of our soul. Ad shekol He's embarrassed when he looks back at this world and sees that all of his thoughts and everything that he put his mind to were all about the distractions of the world and not the truth, not the ultimate truth of Hashem. And this is actually a process that, this, have you guys heard of the process of kafakela? It's a punishment that's described in Tanya. I don't remember exactly for what, for some sort of sin. And the process of kafakela is a punishment where the soul is thrown between both worlds. Mm -hmm. Just, so, yeah, oh, you did? Well, no, we, we yeah, actually, Aish posted like a really like intense post about like, it's like your, your soul is going to see two movies. Like, in, like do you want to scream? Oh, gosh. It was freaky. And then we asked, I asked Nomi about it. So I was like, this seems crazy. And she's like, no, like this, there's a concept called like Kavakana or whatever. Interesting. Said. Yeah. So here, the, the altar of is describing that the reaction is not one of the scream, but rather like this, like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Um, okay, which is... Somebody's telling that. It's embarrassing. Like, try to think for yourself, right? If you look back at the past year and you didn't realize all, like there were just hidden opportunities all over the place and you missed them and then suddenly someone points out every single one of them to you. That's like, oh gosh, you feel like a little bit like, like this, shame. right? It's more shameful. It's more embarrassing than, than rah, right? Like screaming in pain. Listen, there are other processes of, of punishment that are more painful. Um, but, but this is more one of, yeah. We don't like to dwell on them. Sorry. Who experiences this? Everyone? 
specific? Everyone, unless somebody lived their life down here in this world, completely experiencing the truth, which is that Hashem is everything. So, so tzaddikim don't really experience this embarrassment because they. What do you mean, not really? Well, there's different levels of tzaddikim, and so. Each tzaddik has his own level and his own job down here. And depending on how much he fulfilled his job in his lifetime is how much he's going to reap the rewards in the world to come. So, so each tzaddik also is different. But, but I would say most of us, have pro- uh, you know, Mashiach's going to come. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to have to go through this. But, okay. but we, we can think about this fact while we're alive, right? That we don't want to, like, we don't want to embarrass ourselves. We, the truth is right in front of us, right? The truth is in front of us, but it takes digging and it takes effort and it takes work to dig it out. And so um, we need to do that. And sometimes in order to do that, we need to beg Hashem to have mercy on us so that we can do that and to make it easier for us sometimes. Um, and we need to arouse mercy on our soul and actually see the world from our soul's perspective sometimes so we can see the truth the truth of the world. Um, dwelling on kafakela and all the punishments doesn't seem to... Um, be very conducive to our generation, which is why Chabad, Chassidus in general, specifically the Rebbe, does not focus on punishments, even though reward and punishment is one of the 13 principles of faith, um, that there are consequences to our actions. Uh, We don't use that as a motivating force to serve Hashem down here, because that generally leads us to feeling down and and feeling down. Fear of the consequences, not necessarily of Hashem. Fear of the consequences... That's, yeah, so there's le- different levels of fear, and the lowest, lowest, lowest level of fear is considered fear of punishment, fear of the consequences. That's considered like the lowest level of yira. Um, and it works sometimes, you know. Um, but to have that as, as like the driving force of our motivation to serve Hashem and experience the reality of Hashem down here generally leads a person to feeling down. And that is the worst, worst, worst situation to be in because that's when the Yitzhahara really knows how to get us, when we're depressed, when we're down. That's really not conducive to serving Hashem. Um, but we are, while we're here and we can see how the future will play out based on how we're living our life, we ask Hashem, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be embarrassed at some point when we can see the truth and we can see all the opportunities that we missed. So help us to live our life now in a way that we won't be embarrassed, right? And so it says, So when the soul sees the truth, it gets very embarrassed. I read this already. He experienced the world as if he was something separate, which is just not true. It's brazen, it's disrespectful, and it's just untrue to think that you exist on your own. Like, who do you think you are that you exist on your own and you just bring yourself into being every day? That's just not true. So we're begging Hashem to help us to see the true perspective so that we don't have the brazenness, the chutzpah, to live our life as if we exist on our own and as if we exist independently of Hashem. So here we're going to see an example. When someone is in the presence of a king and he is focused on his own petty matters instead of the king, this is a great disrespect. Similarly, we are always in Hashem's presence and there is no place where he is not, even though the body and the physical world makes it seem that there is, that Hashem isn't here. Hence, it is disrespectful to Hashem to be involved in material matters with no intention of how it will help him serve Hashem. This subtly implies 
that that place is separate from Hashem, God forbid. And that's why he isn't focused on Hashem there. And as we discussed that throughout the, the Shema, we start off with proclaiming our love for Hashem. And we go right into speaking about how we work, right? And how we gather our grains, etc., etc., in the Baha'i'im Shemua. And the idea is that even while we're living our life, not actively doing a specific mitzvah, we still have to live with the perspective that everything is Hashem. And when we don't do that, because we didn't arouse a powerful enough love within our hearts to, to hold that with us, even as we go out into the real world, then we are being disrespectful to Hashem. We are thinking that our money and our power all comes from our own efforts and from ourselves. So as the Mimer explained before, this doesn't mean that no one should have any material pursuits at all. Instead, he should make the Torah and mitzvahs his main purpose in life and all his material matters as secondary to help him be able to learn Torah and fulfill mitzvahs. When his thoughts are constantly on serving Hashem, then even in his material pursuits, he is aware of Hashem and not disrespectful since his purpose in those matters is also to serve Hashem ultimately. And this is the ultimate goal we're trying to reach towards, that we can arouse emotions in our hearts for Hashem during prayer that will stick with us and give us enough power and motivation to see the true perspective of the world, which is that Hashem is everything throughout our whole day. But in order to get to that experience of love and these powerful emotions, somebody whose heart is like stone because he's immersed in the world, which is, which is, which is all of us, we need to take it a step further and really, really, really contemplate through the Rachamecha Arabim, through Rachamim and the power of Yaakov in prayer, um, just what our soul is going through and just to try and put ourselves in our soul's shoes during these moments of prayer. So that's why we're asking, that's why we are requesting from Hashem right before the Shema, that you should have mercy on us and you should put understanding in our hearts. You should give us and help us to see and understand the truth of the world, which is that everything is Hashem and that Hashem is as present here in our lifetime in this world as he is before, before we came here, before the world existed and that there was no change in Hashem whatsoever. So to, to see things the way we, they really are. That's what we're requesting from Hashem. So the Avat Olam, that we say right before the Avar Abad, depending on the Nusach, right before the Shema, that's what we're saying. We're begging Hashem. We, we're asking Hashem to give us the true perspective, to have mercy on us, that even though we're involved in vanities, even though we're involved in, in the limitations of the world and the concealments of the world, we're begging Hashem to give us the true perspective. Because when we have that true perspective, when we say Shema, we can actually feel love for Hashem. We could take that emotion with us and then carry it throughout our entire day. So, Haina, what does this mean? Even while the soul is enclosed and concealed within the body, that even then, it should understand, truly, truly see the truth, that the truth is, that everything is completely nullified, just as before the world existed without any change whatsoever. So we're begging Hashem to give us this perspective of the truth that everything is Hashem, that Hashem brings everything into being, and that Hashem is unchanged by the creation of the world. And then when we do experience this perspective, while the soul is in the body, in this world, then we will never be embarrassed forever, even when the soul leaves the body and sees the way it lived its life and how its life played out down here, it won't be embarrassed, it will be proud instead. So that, in, so that we will not have afterwards this eternal embarrassment, right? Because once the soul leaves the body, 
it's not limited to time. So once it feels embarrassed, it's feeling embarrassed forever, right? Um, so we don't, we don't want to have that experience. And so the way we're living our life right now, again, not as a fear of punishment, but rather so that we can truly tap into the potential and the possibilities that exist right here in front of us. Um, this is the deeper meaning of what it says in the Gemara that, ya- no, sorry, not in the Gemara, in Yeshaya, I think it was, right? I think it's in Yeshaya, in the, in the Nevi'in. It says Yaakov who redeemed Avram. The way we can redeem the love that is trapped within our hearts, bring it forth, and the way we can actually experience emotions and relationship with Hashem is through, bless you, is through Yaakov, is through Achamim, through arousing mercy in our soul so that our soul doesn't have to go through this embarrassment of living its life down here in a way that is a lie. So according to Hasidus, the meaning of this verse Right, the basic meaning is that somehow Yaakov is redeeming Avram in some physical sense. But we're looking at it from a deeper meaning. That through the attribute of Yaakov, which is awakening mercy from Hashem on our divine soul, we redeem our hidden love of Hashem, the aspect of Avraham. Okay, is that clear so far? Yeah, any questions or comments on chapter two? Good? Okay, so again, just within the larger context here, this is the idea of ratzo, okay? How do we get to an experience of ratzo, of leaving behind our boundaries, of our own personal redemption from Egypt every single day? That's through the Shema, when we proclaim Hashem's oneness, when we proclaim that we love Hashem with everything that we have, with our whole heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, with all of our money, whatever the different interpretations of those three loves are. And that is the experience of ratzo. In order to get there, we have to work very, very hard. Ratzo doesn't just come naturally. It comes naturally to the soul, but since the soul is now living in the body, it does not come naturally anymore. We have to force it out through our mind, right? That's the whole idea of, that's the whole premise of what Chabad is. That we experience a relationship and feelings for Hashem through starting with our mind first. So that's why we're discussing all these different things to meditate on, contemplate, and think about during prayer. First, so it starts with the mind, and then by the time we get to Shema, our heart can actually truly experience something real. Okay? Let's continue. I'm going to continue a bit with this idea, and then soon we're going to move on to Shav, which we said is experienced on Shavuot. So, this entire process that we just laid out, this entire process that leads up to Ratzo, which is Yitziat Mitzrayim, which is our own spiritual work of leaving Egypt every day. This is only an experience of the godly soul. Very, very much the emphasis that we discussed in the previous Mimer of Adam Kiakriv, that these spiritual moments and inspirations, I just learned that the word inspiration, okay, let's see if I remember this, I just read this. The word inspiration comes from Latin and it means outside of your, it means something from outside coming in. That's what it means from Latin, something outside coming in. So that's a definition of inspiration, that it's not your own, it's not inside of you, it's coming from outside. And because it's coming from outside, it's impacting the godly soul. Shibibchinat galut, which is in exile, the Toch Mitzrayim, in its own personal Mitzrayim, which is the body and the limitations and concealments of this world, and all of the boundaries that cover over the soul. So this entire process of Ratzor is extracting the soul from 
all of the concealments and the limitations that it has in the body so that we can reveal the truth, which is its constant love and yearning to be reunited with Hashem. Says, as Paro said, what does Egypt represent? That I don't know this God of yours, Havaya. I know God as he exists in Elohim. I know God as he is limited and expressed through nature. But the fact that you're saying that your God transcends time completely and that God existed before the world came into being and will continue to exist after the world. Paro says, I don't know this aspect of God. And so what we're trying to leave again, we're trying to leave the Egypt within ourselves that says, I don't see God within my life. That's what we're trying to leave. Masha Katuv, as is written, I will descend with you into Egypt and then I will leave with you. This is the idea that that God, the Shekhinah, descends into exile with us. And what does that mean on a deeper level? When Hashem says, I'm going to go down into Egypt, that our godly soul goes into Egypt as well. And so the process of leaving Egypt is first and foremost a process of extracting the godly soul from its limitations to get the true perspective. And then as we're going to see to move on to Sferatu Omer, which is bringing the animal soul on board. But step number one, leaving Egypt is a process of redeeming the godly soul from its gvulot, from its own personal Egypt. And in that personal Egypt, it's this new perspective which is that we don't need God, that we exist without God. So I will go down with you into Egypt and I will leave is the idea that the godly soul descends with us into our own Egypt. This is why it says to Yaakov, this is referring to the godly soul, Yud Akev, which means Yud is the highest level and then Akev is the heel, that the godly soul goes all the way from the highest level, Yud, Hashem's Chochmah, descends all the way to the lowest level to be invested and limited within our own body. So the name Yaakov represents the divine soul as it must become contracted and diminished and then descend into the body. The name Yisrael represents the godly soul as it transcends the limitations of the body. And the name Yaakov, which is the other name of, of, of Jacob, of our forefather, represents the divine soul as it is limited within the body. So that is why it is a combination of the letter Yud, representing the soul in its contracted state, or here it's saying the other way around, and the word heel, representing the animal soul that is as coarse compared to the divine soul as the heel is compared to the brain. So Yaakov is referring to the godly soul as it now enters its own personal Egypt, so to speak. Yaakov is the rope of his inheritance and his people are a part of Havaya. I'm not sure exactly it's giving us here. Just like a long rope. These quotes are, it's interesting, these quotes are usually from the Tzavach Tzedek, but we don't know exactly what was added in. Just like a long rope can have one end tied on a very high place and the other end tied in a very low place, the divine soul extends from being a part of Havaya, from Hashem as he is beyond creation, all the way down to become invested into an animal soul. Okay, so Yaakov Chevel Nachlatol. Yaakov is the rope of his heritage. So going from the highest to the lowest. Mam um, Katuv, as is written, Vayar Yisrael, and the Jewish people saw et hayat hagdola, Hashem's great hand, asher asa Hashem, what Hashem did, she Yisrael belvad, it is saying only Yisrael. Who saw Hashem's might in Egypt? Yisrael, what does Yisrael represent? What aspect of us? The aspect of the soul that transcends being limited within the body. 
שהוא הנפש אלוקית, this is the godly soul, כי ישראל עלה במחשבה, as it says that the Jewish people, the godly soul, rose up in Hashem's thought, ישראל לי ראש, if you switch around the words, it means לי ראש, וישראל בלבד ראו אשר עשה הוויה. The godly soul is the only one that saw the miracles that Hashem did. So this is very much what we focused on in the previous mimer, that the whole redemption from Egypt was an experience of the godly soul. The animal soul was... Overwhelmed to the point that it went to sleep. That's it. It was exact same animal soul as just sleeping. The godly soul is what was inspired and what was excited and what left Egypt. And so the first step of Ratzor that we experience is our godly soul leaving its boundaries, our godly soul seeing the truth. But our animal soul is just sleeping right now. It hasn't been touched whatsoever and it remains exactly the same with all its flaws. This is the same process. In Kretschma, just as the Jewish people's godly soul left Egypt and experienced the revelations of Hashem's hand in Egypt, so too when we proclaim Hashem's unity and our love for Hashem and Shema, Bechinat Ratzo, which is the idea of Ratzo Yetziet Mitzrayim, leaving our own personal Egypt, Hanal, as we mentioned above, via Hafta, with our love for Hashem, Eino Ela Lenefesh Elokit Bilvad. This process is only for our godly soul. So now we're moving into stage two. Till now we discussed at length Ratzo. What is Ratzo? How can we achieve Ratzo? What are the steps to take? And now we're saying, remember that this whole process is a process for the godly soul, just as the whole process of leaving Egypt was a process that the godly soul experienced. Now we're transitioning into Sfirat Omer, into what happened right after the Jewish people left. Aval nefesh abamit, but the animal soul, mikol makom, nevertheless, hu le'echol, it still just wants to eat, and to act and enjoy like an animal. So even if we're experiencing these tremendous revelations and excitements during Shema, we've really, really reached ourselves up to that point. We've left Egypt, we've experienced revelation. That's our godly soul. Our animal soul still just wants to eat, wants to sleep, wants to enjoy. It hasn't changed at all. It was sleeping during the revelation. It allowed us to get excited. But that's about it. But in order to receive the Torah... Which is Hashem's revelation. Lamata down here. It's Hashem's infinity experience down here in this world. First, we had to make sure that our animal soul was also bitter. So, this is very much the point we made in Adab Gyakriv. This entire first point is for the godly soul, and now our job is to take the ratso that we worked very, very hard to experience. It's not easy to, have to tap into the love that the godly soul has. It takes work, it takes effort, it takes contemplation. But that's just the first step of a couple steps. If we want to receive the Torah and truly become one with Hashem, step number one is to lead to step number two, which is taking that inspiration and bringing our animal soul on board, which is the idea... Of Sfirat Omer. So this is the process before Shuv. Before we can get to Shuv, which is Shavuot, which is the idea that Hashem's truth rests within our lives and is revealed in this physical world, our animal soul needs to be on board as well. It needs to be a vessel for this revelation. So how do we do this? How do we take all the inspiration of Ratzel, of Kriyachma, of our godly soul, of leaving Egypt, and get our animal soul on board? This process happened through the waving of the Omer, which is when they brought the Korban Omer, they would wave it, and that process has a spiritual connotation, and counting the Omer every single day for 49 days. 
as it is written in Pashat Emor, the Hainif et Omer, they would wave the Omer Lifnei Havaya before Hashem Litzonchem, according to your will. Page 27 at the top. Mimacharat HaShabbat, from the day after Shabbat, which means the day after Pesach, Yenifenu HaKohen, the Kohen should wave it. So now we're saying, okay, step number two in this three-step process of Pesach Shavuot and Pesach Zvirat Omer and Sukkot. The Omer comes from Bali, right? It's one, there's only one other offering throughout the entire year other than the Omer that's from Bali. Um, does anybody know what that is? Kind of green. So always it was oh grain, it was wheat. The, uh, there was only one other time that Bali was actually brought. Does anyone know when that was? Well, has you guys heard of the Isha Sota, the wayward wife? so to speak, the Sota waters, it was a whole process Mm -hmm. that if a man suspected his wife of being unfaithful and then he warned with a specific person, suspected her of being unfaithful with something specific, then he warned her not to seclude herself with this specific person and then two witnesses found her secluded with this specific person they, but no one saw what was going on. They don't know exactly what was going on when they were secluded. She's considered, if the husband wishes, she's considered an Isha Sota. She's brought to the Beit HaMikdash and there's a whole process to decide and to discern whether or not she's, she was actually being unfaithful. If she was being unfaithful, she dies pretty dramatically. And so does the man that she had been with, wherever he is, he dies as well. If she was, if she was faithful, then she's blessed with many, many children and, and brachot. And she, what part of this process is that she has to bring a carbon. And this carbon is from Bali. It's the only other time that Bali is brought. And the connection that's brought between these two things is that Bali is machal behemah, it's animal food. And the Bali was brought um, on a practical level here in this instance, the carbon omra, because Bali ripens before wheat and it was ready before the wheat. And in order for them to actually eat from their new crop, they first had to bring the first of the crop to the Beit HaMikdash and do the carbon omer. But on a deeper level, the idea that it's Bali, Bali is animal food, not human food, even though today we do, we do eat Bali, um, is the idea that spiritually our, it's a process of elevating our animal soul. So the carbon omer and the counting of the omer is now a process of bringing our animal soul on board. So we'll continue with this idea. Tomorrow we see, we see here, The Omer is from Bali, which is animal food. And it's rare, it was very, very rare to bring Bali. And so um, we're going to discuss tomorrow what spiritually that means, how we can move from Ratzon now to step number two. Okay, and we're going to be really focusing in the next few classes on what Sferat Omer represents. Okay. Thank you.